morning in some of these songs and what we believe and what it means to us. And uh, wonderful to be together as God's people worshiping. You notice there's some changes up here. It will continue to morph over the next week or two as we uh, reduce some of the uh, uh, failing and uh, out-of-date technology and change some things. Uh, We'll talk about that tonight at our annual meeting. And if you hadn't planned to come to the annual meeting, you need to do that four o'clock this afternoon, and we'll look forward to being able to share what God is doing and in our church and what has been happening. Um, last week, we began talking about uh, the need for us to sometimes push pause, push the pause button on our life, to stop and evaluate kind of where we're going, what we're living for, what we're giving our lives to, uh, because we can, we, God calls us to live on purpose. He calls us to shape how we live uh, by some very carefully thought out values and priorities. And sometimes that can get away on us and we need to stop and, and we need to be able to ask, are we on track with what God has for us? But we said it's the same thing with churches. At church, as churches, we need to stop and sometimes reevaluate what are we giving ourselves to? What are we doing? Are we doing the right things? And then secondly, not only are we doing the right things, are we doing the right things the right way and being effective? And so we've, uh, we've uh, sought to push pause a little bit and to uh, do some investigation, to evaluate, and to kind of chart a course for ourselves. Now, we had a new mission statement. And the new mission statement was uh, to lead people to know Jesus Christ and follow him passionately. Um, have we got that, uh, our, our, our mission statement? Because I would like you to say that with me, please. Our mission is to lead people to know Jesus Christ and follow him passionately. Let's try it one more time. We exist to lead people to know Jesus Christ and to follow him passionately, to enter into a relationship through the gospel, what Jesus Christ has done, that God wants to have a relationship with us. That relationship was broken, and through Jesus it can be restored, where we have a real, vital uh, relationship with him. And um, we also had a... Uh, a a kind of a vision statement saying where we want to go here. And and our vision statement is this. It's touching our world through Jesus one life at a time. Would you say with me that with me, please? Touching our world through Jesus one life at a time. And I need to ask you, how have you done the past week? How'd you do when we said, let's go out and we are as... Uh, a royal priesthood called to represent God, represent Jesus Christ, loving and caring for others, reaching out with the gospel. Have you been doing that? Um, Have you been making a difference in your world, whether that's in your family or your workplace or your neighborhood or your school? Um, That's what God calls us to do. Now, here's here's the really neat thing. That... All churches basically have the same mission statement. You can, you can say it different ways, but we have one mission as the church. We didn't have to dream up what our mission is. 
Jesus told us what the mission is. It's to go and make disciples throughout the whole world to bring people into that relationship with him and help them to follow him passionately, to be disciples, to be followers of Jesus. Now, here's the interesting thing. The expression of that mission can look very different in different places, and each church is unique. You know, Jesus didn't use a cookie cutter and say, church, you all look the same. We don't look the same. Um, We're different. We all share the same mission, but our vision and how we express that is different from church to church. And there's latitude in Holy Scripture and in the gospel to reach out and to help people become followers of Jesus in in very uh, ways specific to their context. Each one shaped differently. Um, If you were beginning a church in the slums of Calcutta, and I have been there, it would look different than the church Timothy Keller planted in... uh, in, um, uh, Manhattan, New York, dealing with the high stakes uh, players in the, in the financial world, they would look vitally different. That would look different than the church that we went to last night, Toronto Alliance Church, downtown Toronto. A lot of street people. We sent 25 people and a, a pile of food down there to care for Their church looks much different than any of those or do ours. Uh, there are different emphases in different churches, different passions. There are different giftings that people have. We're in different contexts with different people and how we're organized and the style of our worship. And some are very formal and smells and bells and, and gowns and others are very informal. And God blessed the diversity of the church so that it's a good and a healthy thing that we have all these different churches that are very unique and all called to the same mission. Now, I was thinking about the churches around our church here. We've got St. Philip's on the Hill, just up on Kennedy, an Anglican church, um, serving God there. Uh, We come over here in McCowan, and we've got a Coptic Orthodox church. That's entirely different. I've been to a worship service in a Coptic Orthodox church. It doesn't look anything like what we, what we do and how we do it. But they're doing, the, they're doing the same thing. I think of the bridge or just down here. Another church that is, is seeking to do the mission. And then I think over here on, on uh, Kennedy Road south of 16th. We've got the, uh, the, bridal, uh, the bridal walk uh, Baptist Church, or Bridal Trail Baptist Church. And there's a church that was born out of um, the um, Cantonese-speaking people moving out of Toronto, coming north. And they started a church there. And now they have also an English congregation, and they have a Mandarin congregation. All our churches look differently, but all of God have their own special vision for what God is calling them to do. In this incredible diversity. You see, we can reach different people with different styles and different places and reaching out to different different people. But all called to do the same thing. To lead people into a relationship with Jesus Christ. To know him 
and to follow him passionately. Well, the last couple of years, we have been working as a church, as elders and staff, to understand our church, um, what our passions and giftedness and our strengths are. In that time, we've had a couple of surveys, and we've kind of tried to profile our congregation. Who are we, and where, where do we come from, and what's our background, and, and uh, to discover who we are and what it is that, that has resonated for us and has worked for us. And uh, it's interesting that when we look at our community over the last 40 years, our community has radically changed. When we came here in the late 80s, this was a field of dreams. It was a field we bought, a 10-acre field. We, we imagined what God could do. There was nothing here. Now there are tens, uh, you know, thousands upon thousands of homes North of 16th, there was nothing there before. And, and it's incredible how um, our, our community has changed, how Unionville has changed. It's interesting, when I look at the census data, and we have had another census done, but we can only go back as, as far as 2011. Currently, we have about, in Markham, about 75% of our population is Asian. There wasn't that way 40 years ago. None of this existed 40 years ago. Our context has changed. And our church has been changing. And so we have this beautiful multi-ethnic family. That And one of the things I love about our church is whoever you are, when you walk into our church, you're going to see somebody who looks like you. And you're going to think, hey, maybe this is a place I can be. And I think that beautiful diversity is reflective of what God has in store for his people, that we would have together the nations all worshiping. Well, this is is really neat because this whole area has also changed, and uh, we've had predominantly people of Chinese background who are, uh, many of them first-generation Chinese who've come, who are Mandarin-speaking in this latest wave. And so our community has changed, and we have to ask, how does our vision for our community change in time as our, our community change, and as society and our world changes around us? And, um, and so we want to kind of paint a little bit of a picture today as, as to what that could look like. You know, what some churches do, um, and, and a lot of us have been guilty with this, is we see a church that is just notable in so many ways, and they have made a name for themselves around the world. And we study those churches, and, and we say, well, you know what, we want, to, uh, we want to mimic that church. They're successful, we want to be successful. And um, some of those churches like uh, Willow Creek Community Church in the West Chicago area is a church that was up over 20,000 people who were coming to worship. They were doing all kinds of innovative things, and, and, and people go there and study it and say, well, we're, we're going to do that. Uh, we're going to do what they're doing, and we're going to imitate them. Um, or Rick Warren and Saddleback Church in uh, Orange County, California. Or, or what Andy Stanley's doing in Alpharetta, Georgia. Or what these churches that have gone to multiple thousands of people. And God says, you know, don't do that. You don't replicate them. You have to find your own voice. You have to know who you are. You have to know who your community is and where God has placed you. And you are like a snowflake. You're to be different from every other church in that way. And, and that's, 
a beautiful thing. God has a unique calling for all of us. So I want us to look at just a few things that can be involved in what we look ahead, what God may want to do with us. And um, the passage that was read earlier for you from Acts chapter 2, well, I say on one hand, I'm saying we shouldn't just mimic another church. Yet there are principles in the church in Jerusalem that started that I think are very helpful for us to give us some guidance to what kind of things uh, we might look like. See, in the, church, in the New Testament, mostly when letters were written to churches, it was because of the not-so-good things they were doing that needed to be corrected. When we have a picture of the church in Jerusalem, it actually is something that I think God held up for us to say, hey, this is the kind of thing that can be going on and should be going on in healthy churches. Um, and so uh, I want to uh, help us look at a few things this morning, and we will we'll burn through some of these, and we've got two more weeks in this series, and we'll talk about, in particular, some things a little more up close. Um, so some of these things are formative for our vision. So in accomplishing our mission... Um, the first thing we want to do is create a warm and loving environment. We want to create a warm and loving environment. L- let me say, this is not something that we're talking about. We should start doing this. This is something that we've been working on, uh, at least during my tenure here. We want our place, we want our church to be a place that when you come in here, you feel loved, you feel welcomed, you feel wanted. And that's really important as a starting place for us to create that, uh, that um, uh, atmosphere here. And um, this is something that we are doing. I'm just saying, let's take it to the next level. Let's push it up a step as well. Creating an environment that is consistent with the gospel and is conducive for people to hearing the gospel. In, uh, in Acts uh, 2, 44 and 45, it says this. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone as they had need. Um, what God was doing was there was just something special about these people. They loved each other. They cared about each other. Uh, they saw somebody hurting and they said, you know, I've got something I can sell and I can help out hurting people. It, it, was, it was believers living together in a loving environment. We know that the world is looking to see love and and. Uh, we're told here, Luke shares with us what this church was like. It was a loving church. Um, it, was, it, was, it was warm. It was loving. It was joyful in verse 46. In, in, in chapter 4, it says they were of one heart and mind. They were unified. This was the kind of place that you want to be, love and joy and unity. It's great to come into that environment, isn't it? To come into a happy place, uh, a place where you hear laughter um, I love it when, when I hear the din of laughter and people talking, and I look and I see somebody over here, somebody over here, praying for somebody, caring for each other. That's the kind of environment that, that uh, Luke was sharing with us that should be a part of a church and something that we're really committed to. You know what? Because without those things, it's absolutely destructive. I know of a church because I had a a family member who was on the board of this church a number of years ago. 
and they had some major, major problems. There was a rift, there was strife, there was division. Um, They were talking about their problems in the church, in the community, and it was a small community, so word got around very quickly, and it was so damaging to the witness of Jesus Christ and of that church. Nobody wanted to go to that church. Nobody, it's terrible. But that's not what we're called to. We're called to create this environment of love, warm, caring, and loving. You see, Jesus wanted to showcase the church before the world so that the, so that the world would see what it's like when you become the people of God. Sometimes we let the Lord down so much in this. In, in um, uh, John 13, Jesus says this, A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will you know, know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Love one another. I, I want people to know that you're my people. Because when they come in here, they're going to see you loving on each other, caring for each other. And they're going to recognize, hmm, something different about this. We don't see this. We, we don't see the kind of unity where young and old and black and white and, and those with more resources and left, less resources are all one together. All loving each other. And, and that's the witness that he wants to have. And there's power in the gospel to transform relationships and to see this happening. And our church family has the opportunity and ability to put on display what God intended for people. That is that we would care for and love each other and be connected to each other. What a beautiful thing. And outsiders should sit up and take notice. And I'll tell you, one of the the recurring comments that we hear from new people coming and from people when we surveyed you in the past, why'd you come to this church? It It seemed to be a warm and loving and caring church. And I'm saying, bravo, keep doing it and take it to another, uh, to another level. Let me say this also. Every one of us here is responsible for creating that environment. It's not our first impressions team out in the lobby or at the door. It's not the ushers. It's every one of us. You know, let me, let me just encourage you. Um, you know, how often do we sit beside somebody in church? For months or years, and we've never known their name. And you say, well, it's too embarrassing because I've sat beside this person. Maybe they did tell you their name once, but if you're like me, sometimes five seconds later, I'm going, what was it? And, and I'm just bold enough to say, you know, I'm an old man, and I've got a bad memory. Can you re- tell me what that was again? But it, just encourage you, say your name to somebody, and remember somebody, and, and, and talk to them. Um, the second thing we have is um, inspiring worship services. Inspiring worship services. There's something about corporate worship. Now, all of us should worship privately, all of us should worship at home. All of us should worship before the Lord. We can do it in singing and responding to Scripture and praying and all the rest of that thing. But there's something really special about coming together as the people of God and joining others and lifting our voices together. It sounds so good when we lift our voices all together. And, and um, last week I talked to you about a guy um, by the name of Bob whose wife dragged him out to an Alpha course. And um, it was, 
his, his whole thing about church, he, he didn't go to church. His wife, uh, his wife kind of talked him in maybe once or twice a year he would go. And here was his take on church. Boring. Not only boring, not only was it boring, it was just irrelevant to him. And every now and again, he would acquiesce and he would go to the church that she went to. And, and he just, he just did, was not interested in going. When he came to Alpha, and God started to warm his heart up a bit. And he said, hey, Bob, why don't you come out to church sometime? And so he agreed because he knew people and he was relationally connected. And um, it wasn't what he thought. And, and what happened in the early church in Jerusalem was their services were alive. They were pulsating with life and enthusiasm and joy. In fact, in Acts 2, 46, in the first part of 47, it says this, Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, and they broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, and praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. This was a place where when you came, it was a happening place. It was a place where, where God was working and they worshipped in small groups and they met in large groups so that there were 3,000 converts in one day and very quickly that went to 5,000 people who became followers of Jesus Christ and they celebrated communion in, in, in small groups and they met in large groups and the one thing that, that, that was they were full of praise and they were full of joy. Now a few weeks ago when we finished off the Psalm series we said the whole direction and, and whole goal of where God wants to take us is to praise. We came here to praise God, to lift up our voices uh, to him. And, and, um, and it's something when God touches us, touches our minds and our emotion and our will with the greatness of who he is, with the greatness of, of God, and we worship and we are lost in his presence. The problem is that a lot of people have only experienced religion. They've only experienced ritual. They haven't experienced a relationship with God. And our desires for people to meet with God in a powerful and a personal way. And we work hard to kind of try and craft worship services that exalt Christ and that are spirit-filled and are heartfelt and are engaging and we have a motto. Keisha, what is our motto, at least among the staff, about Sundays? No, no throwaway Sundays. She's got it. That is, every Sunday to us is special. You say, well, it's a long weekend. Nobody's going to be here. It's a special time. Don't miss it. God will do something great in your life. And so we work to that extent. Now, I know everything isn't. It's exhilarating. Every service is an example. But I want to tell you, we try hard to, to really craft uh, worship services that are meaningful and Christ-exalting. And, uh, you know, the, I, it's, it's interesting how sometimes people who are not even believers and felt like they're searching for something come in. I, I, had, I had a man tell me I came in and I, I couldn't stop weeping. I don't know what it was. But the power of God was in a place and, and there's a sense in which God is here. I don't know, I can't describe what it is, but God is here. We want to meet with God in a personal way. And let me say to you, prepare your hearts for worship. 
Get a good night's sleep. Come and, and come with expectancy and ask God to speak to you and, and encourage your heart because there's nothing more important than worshiping and praising him and we'll do it for all of eternity. Well, the third thing is practical and relevant Bible teaching. Practical and relevant Bible teaching. Um, in Acts 2.42, it says this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, this is really interesting. We've had an experience has happened here that is like none other. Um, they were praying together, 120 believers in an upper room. And Jesus said, don't leave Jerusalem until you're endued with power. And as they worship and as they pray, something happened on the day of Pentecost. The Spirit came down upon them. Uh, these little things that looked like licks of tongue, like little licks or little tongues of fire, came and, and kind of presenced themselves. And people began speaking in languages they'd never heard. And uh, there was this, the sound of this rushing mighty wind. God was present and doing something. And they went out and, and people thought they were, uh, they were nuts. And they had this experience and 3,000 people come to faith in one day. They baptized in one day 3,000 people. Those poor apostles, their arms must have been more, more you know, dragged out. And uh, in, in the, after this great thing, we have this picture of the church. And the first thing the church was committed to, they were devoted to teaching. Teaching the apostles' doctrine. Teaching what, what God had committed to the apostles. And uh, this is so critical because Jesus said, when we talk about what it is to be a passionate follower of Jesus Christ, he said, teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. So help them to come into the family of God. Baptize them. And teach him to obey everything I've commanded. And the responsibility we have as a church is to teach you week after week, systematically what God says so that we can bring our lives into line with it. Uh, uh, to, to represent God's word well and appropriately. Even when it's hard. Even when you're stepping on people's toes. Even when it's not popular. We're called to share God's word, all his word, not just the stuff we like, but everything. And, um, and the challenge is that, that that can be difficult, but we're not to shrink back from that. We're to continue to present it. Even when it steps on toes, we need to present the word of God with integrity. And we need to teach and preach in a practical way, so people understand who God is and what he wants, and, and so we can relate that to life, so that it guides us with how we live our lives. They say, well, why, why is that important? I'll tell you why it's important, because God changes lives through the spirit-empowered communication of the word of God. God uses his word to change our lives as we live uh, as, we, as we respond to the word of God, as the spirit of God uh, helps us bring understanding to it. And I'll tell you what our commitment is. And I know like I, preaching is the thing I love the most and I hate the most. What I mean by that is this. I feel such a burden and I want to represent the Lord well. And sometimes you're working and working and it's hard, but I, I would tell you this and our commitment is to you that we try to work very hard 
to present the Word of God in its truthfulness and in a way that's practical to our lives so that we can live it out. And um, to the extent that um, uh, this happens, it only happens because God blesses His Word. It's not my Word, it's His Word. And, um, and, and so, come with an open ear to listen to what God has for you. Fourth, experiencing meaningful community. Um, we want our church to experience meaningful community. Do you know we were never called to journey alone in our faith? In our faith, we were always to journey with others. The interesting thing is, a Western mindset is, is really focused on individualism. The Eastern mindset, of which the Middle East was a part, thought communally of people. And, and what we want to do and be as a church is we want uh, to recognize the importance of relationships, and we want people to experience meaningful uh, community and relationships, where God uh, can be connected in our lives, where we can share with each other, where we can help each other, where we can pick each other up if we fall down, and, and, and where we're there for each other, where we're rejoicing together and laughing together, and we're weeping together as well, where we serve together and put all of our gifts uh, together and our talents and apply them for God's work to lead people to know Jesus and to follow him passionately. And uh, I'm going to deal with this a bit more next week, so I, I'm, I'm not going to say much more other than one of our primary ways of trying to assure that we have meaningful co- uh, uh, community is through our life groups. And, and Lindsay, thank you so much for sharing even what happened with the Alpha Group, which was, uh, which was kind of a life group too. Um, and, and what happens, I can only tell you, in, in our life group, um, we have been able to go so much deeper relationally, helping and praying for each other. And, and sometimes it comes, uh, we meet every week, and sometimes I'm, you know, I'm feeling, oh man, I feel so dragged out. And when I go to life group, I, I'm energized by the people who were there. And I just want to encourage you, if you're not engaged in that, that you would be engaged and you would join a life group. And as I say, we'll talk a little more about that. Fifthly, strengthening the family. Strengthening the family. Um, God has always been concerned with the next generation. You know, we're always one generation away from extinction. And it's the responsibility to keep transmitting the faith from generation to generation. In Deuteronomy 4, and this happens through Deuteronomy, it happens through the Psalms, uh, but uh, let me just read this one particular passage. Uh, God has told his people uh, what they're to do. Uh, They're on the verge of going into the promised land. Moses is not going in with them because of his sin. And so uh, he says this to the people, be careful to watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Everything God has shown you and taught you, teach them to your children and to their children after them. Remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb? That's 
at Mount Sinai when God spoke. He said to me, assemble all the people before me to hear my words so they may learn to revere me as long as they live. Live in the land uh, and, and may teach them to their children. There's a responsibility to convey our faith from generation to generation to generation to generation and that we have that responsibility. And something that's important for us uh, at our church is our first concern ought to be for our own children. Our first priority is our own children, the children God gave us, to, to, to teach them to help them come to know Jesus Christ and to follow him passionately. It's interesting that the responsibility for doing this was not given to the church. It wasn't given to the priests. It wasn't given to the elders. It was given to the parents. See, we have your kids for 50 hours, 67 to 80 hours, maybe a year. You have them for like 2,400 hours. You have more influence in the life of your children than we will ever have. But you need to understand this also, that half of the people who become followers of Jesus Christ do so before the age of 12. I was down for a moment during the service speaking to our children. I showed them a picture of me when I was a little kid, and I was talking about this kid. This kid who became a follower of Jesus when he was about five, very real. A kid who felt a tug. I mean, I wanted to be a missionary. I wanted to be, this is, you're going to laugh at this, those of you who know me. I wanted to be a carpenter missionary. You know, I, I, am, I don't even know which end of the hammer to use to hit. It's, I'm terrible. But somehow in me, God had placed a desire to serve him. As a little child, I know that God can speak to and use little children. I remember helping little friends come to know Jesus. I know that kids, God can use kids. And we have a responsibility to the next generation to try and reach them and help them to know Jesus Christ and to follow him passionately. And the older we get, the harder it is for people to take steps to become followers of Jesus. And uh, by the time your your child is nine years of age, the moral foundation has basically been laid. By the time your child is 13, uh, they have formed the majority of their faith beliefs. I mean, it's scary. And, And that's why our children's ministry is important. But there's an element to our children's ministry that is... That isn't, you give us your kids, uh, you give the professionals, us, your kids, and we'll train them for you. Our thing has been this. Our thing is, we will support you in your task, parents. We will help equip you to do what God has called you to do, not take it away from you. And so, uh, what, we, what we are doing is three to four times a year, we're having a special time where we train parents, equip parents. Uh, resource parents, provide resources for them. We had one, how to lead your child to Christ. Why should the Sunday school teacher lead your child to Christ 
when you're the one who's been up with the flus and earaches and all the rest of that, why shouldn't you have the joy of that? We want to teach you how you could lead your child to Christ. We want to t- we, we've run things on how to help your, uh, how to have a, a meaningful de- devotional life in your church. Um, how to teach your children uh, a, a uh, biblical sense of what sex is. Uh, how to understand what it means to live in a pluralistic society where everybody and everybody's belief is right. And, and so we have done this in the past. Our commitment is to continue to do that kind of thing. We want to reach the next generation for Christ. Uh, and, and folks, I know of churches, and bless their heart, it's all gray heads in the church. And, and it's dying. No new blood. No new, and so we need to put a focus on reaching first our own children and then children. Uh, that's what We started a, a, a midweek children's meeting that is targeted for kids in our community who aren't, don't go to church. And, and uh, Christian Brigade uh, started a couple weeks ago. Uh, and, but we're committed beyond that to reaching younger, a younger demographic. And when we, when we profiled the demographic of our congregation, we realized that we have some, some work to do there. And so we, what we're doing is trying to understand how can we be more effective in reaching out to younger people. Those of you who are, are older know I love you. I honor you and revere you. I'm almost one of you. But, <laughs> but, but I'm trying to pretend that I'm younger than I am. And, but, but God has given us a charge. And I can tell you this. Some of you I know are broken hearted. Your grandkids... Your kids aren't, going, aren't following God. Your grandkids aren't following God. And they're not leading their kids to follow. And you're trying to have the impact that you can as a grandparent. But your heart is broken. Because you don't see that influence. And I want you to know that what we want to do and be as a church is we want to be able to reach out um, to a younger demographic as well. And that may, that may cause little ripples here and there because if, if we move and flex a bit, you say, well, well that's not how we kind of did it before. Well, we're trying to reach the next generation. We're trying to posture ourselves for the health of the next generation and church leaders. And um, I just know this. We have a big responsibility in that way. Um, I got a buzz here. Um, uh, sixth that we've got here, uh, touching our community with the gospel. We talked about what the gospel is and how transformative the gospel is in our lives in every way. It, it touches first our relationship with God, our relationship with others. It, it changes us from the core of who we are. And we have a re- responsibility to touch our community uh, with the gospel, to share the gospel, to find ways to, to get into our community and to connect with them. Um, I told you our community has changed. Um, all around us, we're in a sea of Chinese immigrants. And I'll tell you that uh, as a leadership team and as a staff, uh, we're working with our region to talk about some possibilities where God could somehow use us in reaching some of our new immigrant neighbors who are moving in, uh, many of who, who don't know the Lord at all. And uh, I wish you would pray for us as we work to that end. This is where God has placed us. This is what God has brought to us. And we're asking, how do we touch our community in that way 
with the gospel. Uh, we've made some, we've made some, some changes. We have uh, a Mandarin-speaking life group. Um, some of our, our, our dear friends are able to uh, process the message, but when it comes to speaking and sharing in a life group situation, so much easier for them to use their heart language, their mother tongue. And so we've got a, a, a Mandarin-speaking life group meeting, processing what we're doing, only speaking Mandarin. And so uh, pray for us as we seek to reach our community and touch our community uh, with Christ. It's interesting, it said of Jesus in uh, uh, Luke twenty four nineteen that, that Jesus was powerful in word and deed. Word and deed. When he spoke, they sat up and listened. He was an engaging speaker, but indeed he cared for them. He healed them, he helped them, he reached out to them. And, uh, and we're called to do that. So 25 people went with a ton of food down to downtown Toronto last night. Those, how many of you are, are here this morning? You went last night. Come on, put up your hand. Come on, nice and high. Um, yeah, thank you so much. That's our church. That's our church going and, and seeking to touch our community. We touch them in very practical ways with things like food, uh, with uh, sharing the gospel. We, we had people down there praying. We had people connecting with the people. We had people scrubbing. Everybody doing something to reach out with the love of Christ. And uh, I'm not going to take time, but in Acts 5, there's a picture of the church in, in verses 12 to 16. And... It was, it was a church that was touching its community. People were coming. I, 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 I think of our, our master's pantry. Nancy said to me, um, the people are coming for food, but there's a lineup of people for prayer. You know, when in, uh, in Acts 5, it was like uh, the people are, are, are flocking to the church and they're being prayed for, and they're being healed, and they're being touched. And you know what? In many, in many ways, the church is so, so not even there in our community. Nobody knows who we are, what we do. They drive by the buildings. They don't know a thing. That was not that church. And my prayer is that our church would be a church that is touching people and, and God is using. Um, very quickly, I'm just going to finish off. And uh, our, our music people can come and take your place. Um, one of the things, uh, seven, is underpinning ministry by prayer. Because we can't do it, folks. In our power, we can't do it. When you read through the book of Acts, you find that there are more references to prayer in Luke and Acts than in any other part of the New Testament. And at every juncture, they were praying and God was working. And so we will move ahead with prayer. Everything will be underpinned with prayer. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. And so we pray and ask him to do what we can't do. And the net result is numerical growth. Uh, it says that in, in uh, Acts 2.47, it says this, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Every day, people were coming. It was a healthy church, a church reaching out. And, and we go to chapter 4. And many who heard the message believed so that the number of men grew to about 5,000. That's just men. And we go beyond that to chapter 5. 
and they were afraid to join with the uh, with the uh, the believers. But nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number, and the church was growing. You say, well, should we really be talking about numbers? Shouldn't we be talking about faithful to the Word of God? Well, yes, we got to be faithful to the Word of God. But in Acts, there are about seventeen or eighteen references to numbers, and God thought it was important. I'm not satisfied. There's there's a holy discontentment in me to know that there are holes that people could be sitting in here because we have a whole community of people who don't know Jesus Christ, don't know what they've done for him. And and it's our desire to do that. Um, Can you see, can you look with me with the eyes of faith and see what God could do with a group of people who are in love with Jesus and in love with one another. And there's this incredible warm uh, spirit here. There's a love and a passion in our worship and God is forming us by his word to be like Jesus. And, and, and we're, we're reaching out and, and we're, we're touching our children's lives and we're keeping the next generation in and we're reaching out to those in our community who don't know Christ. And God is moving powerfully in lives, transforming people, putting relationships back together. That's what he wants to do. And he can do it. And he can do it with us if we give ourselves to him and what he wants. May God bless us and use us in that way. He's placed us here in this city. He's the God of this city, and we are his representatives.